The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Now out of the shotgun, under pressure to the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa. Fedorowicz, Rudock under pressure, and he finds a tight end in the end zone. Touchdown this season for Fedorowicz. Big time play by the sophomore quarterback as he was under pressure. Iowa lead 17-10. You talk about big time play, smart play. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes. Mike, this podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's win in overtime against the Northwestern Wildcats and he previews the upcoming very important home game against the Wisconsin Badgers. We also have our weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs which include Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out both of the reporters' notebook shows this week with Steve Batterson and subbing for Scott Docterman, Mark Morehouse returns. The Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Matt Devlin and Glenn Mason. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's show on Hawkeyes Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's win over Northwestern. He talks about Iowa's second half offensive struggles and he previews the Wisconsin game. Marv, let's start with your overall thoughts on last Saturday's overtime victory over Northwestern. Iowa broke a two-game losing streak. Even more importantly, perhaps, it broke a four-game Big Ten losing streak inside Kinnick Stadium. I think it was, you know, we had a great seven or eight minutes early. Uh, obviously, a, a great overtime segment up both offensively and defensively uh, with some you know, mediocre or subpar play kind of sprinkled in between, but, but good enough to win a Big Ten game. So ultimately, that's that's, that's all that matters. You know, every every Big Ten wins a great win, and, and especially when you're dealing with some, like, straight like you're talking about where you want to make sure that you're on the right side of them. Both teams had a chance to win that game really a couple of times in regulation and ultimately they both failed to do so. A couple of mistakes. Northwestern fumbled down there. Who would have predicted, given the series recent history, this game turning into a defensive struggle? Well, I think a lot of it was just based on the weather. I mean, I think the wind was a, a huge factor in, in a lot of what they were trying to do passing-wise and, and so it forced teams to really kind of rely on the running game. A lot of that was driven by that part of it. I was actually shocked that Northwestern was able to run the ball as effectively as they did at times, but ultimately I think they were comfortably throwing it or running it, but I, I think a lot of it was basically just dictated by the weather. I mean, it was pretty darn windy on the field, pretty gusty, and I think that kind of factored into the equation as far as play selection. Iowa started fast again, second week in a row, touchdown on their opening drive, moved the ball almost at will, and racked up 102 yards in the first quarter. After that, only 178 total the rest of the game in regulation. Second half, which extended to the last three quarters, offensive production 
Christian wolves continue, and it's hard to pinpoint why. You know, I, th I think a lot of it is is just it's a it's kind of a mindset, you know. And I think we have a conservative, defensive mindset that you know don't beat yourself, and and that's okay if you got a great running game and you can rely on it and change field position and do all that, and then rely on your defense to keep to hold a lead for you. Uh, and I and I think you know it's one of those situations where you can kind of go look at the Missouri South Carolina game when Missouri went out 17 nothing. They basically tried to let the air out of the ball. You know their quarterback is an elusive, dynamic guy, and it kind of gets him out of his, uh, you know, it gets him out of his rhythm, and then next thing you know, it's a tie game, goes into overtime, and you're trying to restart up your offense, and, and I think a lot of it can just be based on, you know, we are what we are, we're going to run the ball, play action, and, and when you have a 10-point lead, it, 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 you know, the one thing you don't want to do is turn the ball over on your side of the field, you, you want to win the field position game, and I think a lot of it is just kind of, I'm not saying I'm getting more conservative when that happens, but just, you know, not doing anything stupid at that point. I always remember Hayden Fry talking the old scratch where it hits but as you watch the last three or four games, and I was led every game this season at halftime. In particular, I think the last three games, it looks like the passing game is working. It was working really well Saturday, you know, outside, across the middle, they were running some plays. They were moving the ball, and then, then they go back to some running plays right into the teeth of the opponent's defense. Is that an issue of play calling? Why would I know you're trying to mix it up, you know, and keep the other team off balance a little bit, but why don't you keep plugging away at what? working. Yeah, and a lot of times it's, you know, it's a run-pass check. They're reading the numbers in the box. They're reading the front, and if they get a certain front, they're going to run it. If they get a certain front, they're going to throw it. And a lot of that's dictated by what the defense is doing, but ultimately, you're right. We were having a lot of success with the mid-range passes uh, off to play action and things like that, and it's scratch word itches. I get that. It, it, it's like the zone. It's always a moving, the, the, the hole and the read on the zone is always moving. It's always, it's a it's a flowing thing, and that's kind of what you got to do with the offense, is you got to keep scratching where it itches, but it, it's not going to itch in the same spot. It's going, to, it's going to move and progress as the defense makes adjustments. You make adjustments to those adjustments, and you got to keep going back to those areas because ultimately all you're trying to do is, and this is why coaches work 90 hours a week, is they sit there and they study film, they study tendencies, they study you know formations and fronts, and then they're going to try to build plays that work against certain defenses and attack certain areas of the defense. And so you're trying to, to work that area, and if you have success with it, then they make adjustments. Now you should have an adjustment off of their adjustment and attack there. And you know a lot of that is dictated by the defense. That may be why we were running the ball so much. I think also with a 10-point lead, you know, if it is third and three, you're more likely to run the ball than pass the ball on a third and three if you are up by 10 points. A lot of the problems relating to offensive production in the second half of the games appears to be a lack of spark in the running game, where in particular, Wiseman seems to not be able to make the same kind of plays he does in the first quarter, or the first couple of drives. There was some chatter after this game that maybe Wiseman is just not well suited to those outside zone schemes that I Iowa tries to run, and maybe that's why we're seeing a little more of Bullock and a lot more, really, of LaShawn Daniels, who might be better suited to that. I don't know anything, obviously, about health and all that stuff. I, he looks to me like he's hurt, like he's nicked up or something. He doesn't look like he's finishing runs. He's getting into him and fitting into him versus dropping the bomb on him and, and lowering the boom and running through for three, four, four, five more yards. I mean, he's at contact. It looks like he's fitting into the contact and then going down, and he just looks to me like he's not the same guy that he was in week one, two, and three and that's one of the reasons you don't run them 30 times against Missouri State or 25 times against those teams. Try to save them and keep them fresh as you get into week 8, 9, 10, 11. But, but we, we are showing that better depth at running back. Obviously, those other two guys are starting to make a little spark for us. And, and it's always good to have a changeup. You know, big power back and come back with a scatty guy. So I think that's a good combination. And, you know, I thought our running game was okay. You know, we weren't getting the big chunks uh, with the exception of that opening drive. I thought we were pretty dominant. But, uh, you know, Northwestern's a smart team. They, you know, made adjustments and, and kind of got after our inside zone. Bullock's definitely a change of base. 
John Daniels kind of looks like a blend between Wiseman and Bullock. Yeah, and it, it's it's like I said, it's just it's it's a different pace to the game. It's a different fit for the linebackers as they're coming in, and, and how quick they got to get off the blocks up front. So it's good to have extra guys. Jake Rudock again. We talk about him every week, but that's because he deserves to be talked about. It was a solid game overall. I didn't think that that interception at the end of the game was kind of meaningless. I mean, he was trying to make something happen, and you know, it didn't hurt the, hardly any time left on the clock. But his play in overtime, not just the pass that won the game to uh, Fedorowicz, but overall, his, he was great in that overtime period. Another solid performance. Just don't get caught doing too much. Just do your assignment, do your job, uh, have fun doing it, and make plays when they get when they get called up. And that's exactly what he was able to do. And you know, the, I mean, the Northwestern brought a pretty heavy blitz on that play to Fedorowicz, and basically he just you know he knew it was coming, waited an extra half a second, let Fedorowicz clear, and then throw it out there where he can get it. And you know, it's a great pre-snap recognition on his part to understand if I get blitz, here's what I got, and here's where I'm going, and they executed it perfectly. Yeah, both on Fedorowicz's part, who was wide open, mm-hmm. and how Rudock could stand back there, know he was going to take mm-hmm. that big hit and put that much touch on that pass. That was a thing of beauty. Yep, sure was. He also completed passes again, which is a pattern all season long we're seeing with him now to multiple receivers. In this game, it was 10. It was really 9, but you got to count the one that Brett Van Sloten caught. <laughs> but they're really he really spreads the ball around nicely. It, it really does, and, that, and that's a tribute to, one, the, the depth we have at all the different positions, two, the confidence that he's got in all those guys. I mean, it's it. You know, you, you have a tendency to get. You know, it's like a like a you know a, a favorite blanket. You know, I mean, you get have a tendency not want to throw that thing away, and, and you're going to get it and keep it. And and but he's very very comfortable with everybody, and he and just running the offense. And you know, a lot of times it's designed to go in a certain area. You know, you got a high low read, or you got a three level, and you just read it out. The defense tells you where to go with the ball, and I think he's in a nice mix now where that's exactly what he's doing. You see this happen a handful of times every year where some big offensive lineman catches a pass like that. Are they hard? hard to live with that next week. <laughs> they, they, they think you need to start putting that in the game plan, you know, factoring that in. So yeah. Offensive line played well both right and left side Saturday, even though, and you think, well, gee, how could they play well when there was that much of a struggle with a running game? But for the most part, they looked pretty good, too. Yeah, I thought, you know, I, I initially on the surface, I thought we were maybe getting too left-hand dominant with the big sheriff at the left tackle, but I think we are really doing a good job of staying balanced and keeping teams off. off. You know, we'll actually run weak. You know, we'll actually, you know, load strong with the tight end fullback and then run still run weak we'll run strong to that I mean so it's it's tough to defend it's tough to if you don't have solid tendency on what I was doing running game wise it's a very very difficult to defend and and I think both sides have done a good job I think protection's been really solid you know and honestly to me it looks like Jake's got a really he is completely focused on down the field and as a quarterback if you can have that confidence that you know everybody's and, and here's part of it if you know well these five are picked up or these six are picked up that's my guy okay and if you know that and that's what he did on the, on, the, on the game winner to Fedorowicz. He knows I can't block that guy, so on snap, if that guy comes, here's my out, okay? And he knew it, and he was able to execute because of it. And when you know that those five or six are picked up, you see your guy isn't blitzing, now you go back in the pocket, you're comfortable knowing, well, if everybody does their assignment, we're good to go, and so I can stay focused down the field. And I think he's got a great grasp of that, and I think the O-line is really sorting out the twists and stunts and stuff and, and getting everybody covered up. Going into the game, a lot of fans, and you and I talked about it last week, waiting to see if we might see those uh, multiple times tight end packages again and some of the stuff they did against Ohio State. We did not. Uh, Rudock indicated that Davis didn't feel like that was going to be a good fit against Northwestern's defense. But that might that be a, an approach that you would see against a team like Wisconsin? Again, a little more tight end play anyway. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, they are, to me, they're a mirror, inju- mirror image of us. And it's one of those deals where you better feel like if you're going to put extra guys in the box, you better make sure your guys are better than their guys that you put in the box. And, and, and Wisconsin's a big physical team. 
and so there's a part of me that says the best thing you can do is kind of spread them out, get them out in space, try to get those big guys where they're you know mismatches that way. But but ultimately that's why those guys are sitting in those meetings ten hours a day to figure that stuff out. But I, I don't see it as that being a, a good matchup for us because I think you know with the exception of Fedorowitz, our tight ends are undersized guys. I mean they're not big physical. They're almost hybrid receivers. That's exactly right. And and you got to use them in that capacity and not and you play their strengths and you hide their weaknesses. You know and I'm not saying they're they're weak blockers, but I think if you put one of our backup tight ends or second or third string tight ends in there and they're trying to block an outside linebacker at Wisconsin, they have the advantage on that. Back to the offensive woes in later in the games, I know that, it, that Iowa's gone exclusively no huddle, and a big part of that, though, is the change of pace, the slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up. But almost every time they've tried to go fast, it seems like that uh, Rudock gets in a much better rhythm and they're having more production later in the games when they are going fast. Why would that be the case? Is that just something he's more comfortable with? Well, it's probably a pace he's played at in college, in high school. I mean, it's probably the pace that he's played there. And, and so, and then ultimately, a lot of times when you are playing with pace, the defense gets base. They, they start playing more basic. So you get the same front, get the same coverage a lot of times because they don't have time to substitute. They don't have time to change it up. And so you're able to get a comfort level from that standpoint. You know, a lot of times when you are going with pace, they don't, the rush has a tendency to slow down. They start they start looking to, to see what's going on versus actually just pinning their ears back and attacking and getting the edge and stuff like that. So there, there, there's a lot of great benefits to, to changing up the pace and getting more aggressive with your tempo. The other thing we saw on Saturday, again with the no huddle all year, really there have been few, maybe just a couple of clock management issues. In the first half, those really reared their head. They had to use up all the three timeouts. The third timeout was gone early in the second quarter. Was that an issue of some substitution things happening or play calling, or could you figure that out? The Ferris was kind of vague about it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I can't, you know, I, to be honest with you, I can't recall what, what the issue was on that. I mean, a lot of times it's colder, and, and the, the coaches don't think as clearly. They don't get them in there as quick as they used to. You know, I, I, I know that's sometimes that I happen when I got gloves on and I'm fumbling through my notes or something. But but no, I, I you know I don't know what the particular issue was on those. But uh, you know those are the kind of things that can come back and you know haunt you later in the stretch. But fortunately for us, they didn't. Iowa's defense played well overall. Northwestern did have the two long sustained drives, TD off of one, field goal off the other. They held Northwestern scoreless. It's the first time that's happened to the Wildcats in five years. They held them well below season average in points and total yards. Talk about their overall performance and and really against a guy like Coulter. That's not somebody you're going to stop cold anyway, is it? Yeah, you know, and, and, and unfortunately for Northwestern, Coulter wasn't 100%. I mean, he was probably coming in, he's probably 85, and then he got nicked up during the game and probably was, fact, you know, functioning about 65% at the end. But, I, you know, I thought we did a good job. I, I, like I said, I was shocked. I thought they were running the ball effectively against his four, you know, three, four, five yards at a time, which I was a little bit surprised by. And they, and they stayed patient. They stayed with that uh, and had success. So a little bit shocked by that. But ultimately, you know, I thought, you know, we took them out of their comfort zone and, and we, we minimized big plays and, and uh, you know, made them march the field and, you know, make 10, 12, 13 consecutive snaps to, to change field position and get points. And, and for, fortunately for our defense, was, you know, they, they did a good job in rally and kept them out of the end zone for the most part. Iowa came into this game with eight sacks, got six against Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, you know, a lot of it's just, it's, if you feel, you know, a lot of, a lot of our front four is designed to wreak havoc, you know, and it's to plug things up and let our linebackers clean it up. we got great linebackers, obviously. But at some point, you got to turn them loose. You know, at some point, you got to just, you know, put the, let them put their hand on the ground and go get it. And then let the back, back 
linebackers spy the back, spy the you know the quarterback on a on a draw or something. And and, and you know we guys they get, these guys are good. They're tough kids. They got great leverage and and uh, you know that is good to see because that's what we were dearly missing you know last season and early this season. Iowa ran almost some three four looks on Saturday. They mixed it up. I mean they moved away a little bit with four three. Saw more of Reggie Spearman who looks like he's going to be a terrific yeah. another terrific yeah. linebacker. But then they pulled out this sort of exotic defensive scheme that people up in, at the media guys were calling it all different kinds of strange names, where all 11 guys were on their feet. Nobody was down. They pulled out either eight or nine. Well, they pulled out and left only two or three defensive linemen, and they had linebackers and DBs and everything else. They claimed that that was from Parker's old playbook. I don't remember seeing it, but talk about what you saw, what they're trying to accomplish when they're doing that against Northwestern's offense and the problems it poses for an offense. You know, one of the things they're trying to do is they're just trying to, a lot of teams are setting up their protections and you know they got you know four bigs in the mic or you know whatever that it's a slide protection so they're leaving two in the backside or whatever their, their count is on their protections and they're just trying to move around enough that they can't get locked in on who's you know who they're sliding to or who the mic is and, and so they're they're trying to do is just create confusion in the protection element of it we weren't moving around a lot if you notice they're gonna they're gonna basically filter in because you know it's like anything else I'm like we when we do pump protection first thing you do is just get back because ultimately they're gonna sort it out they're not gonna bring three guys in the a gap if they do we're gonna we're gonna fake it on because there's three guys in one gap and so ultimately it'll all sort itself out it's just a matter of being able to line up and identify it before the snap and uh, I think they're trying to create some confusion with that the thing I liked was you know and I think we, we maybe learned something from Ohio State is let's get fresh guys in let's bring in a guy that may be a great pass rusher and let him just rush the passer you know which is why Spearman's on the field more and I think you know ultimately then that's a snap that the other guy's getting rest and not having to chase a quarterback around for 15 seconds or 12 seconds or whatever it is, you know, take on a tackle. And, and I think that's going to make us better against the run and the pass as we go forward. Well, it did seem to confuse Northwestern even after the half. Iowa ran that scheme out there, I think, on Northwestern's first drive after halftime. And, and Northwestern had to use a timeout. Still couldn't figure it out during the halftime. I don't know if we'll see that again, but that was certainly interesting. And I think it kind of excited Iowa fans because you don't see a lot of innovation like that yeah. coming out of parents. The two sustained drives Northwestern had, and apart from those, Iowa's linebackers played a terrific game again. But those two sustained drives, it looked like in particular the linebackers, or Iowa's linebackers, were being taken out of the plays or overrunning the plays or whatever. What did you see going on there? Well, I, mean, I, I think a lot of it is is we play our linebackers out over the slot. You know, they put they spread the guys out, and then they're going to go try to block them. And, and a lot of times when you're playing inside, when, when the run comes inside, it's easier to get in on a guy and leverage him hard versus if it's coming straight outside. You know, that's where I saw, like, Hitchens and some of those guys just destroying those receivers, actually throwing the receivers back into the back. But when the when the, when the runs up inside, they're able to basically tie up the outside backers, and now you got guys coming downhill on your inside backer. And if and if the back's hitting inside, and you got a lineman that's able to get up to that next level and flash on that Mike backer, it's almost impossible for him to take it on if the back's coming hard enough. And that's kind of why I think they were just able to, the back was able to get in the line of scrimmage quickly. Northwestern's doubling at the line of scrimmage and then pushing to the next level, and there was enough movement inside where they were able to get to the mic backer enough that you if, if the mic backer takes on that lineman it's going to be a big collision right but if the back's hitting it hard enough it's an arm tackle and you're still going to gain three or four which is what was happening if you start dipping around it you start running around that lineman now if the back cuts the right way now he's out he's to the safety so you got to be careful and i think it was a combination of both those things i thought we did a good job like i said i thought there was a little crease in there you know four yards they got one bust out late in the last drive that they made some mistakes but they had a 20 plus yard run that time but I thought for the most
most part, we contain them fairly well inside. I don't know whether it was because I was looking for it, but there were several examples Saturday where Iowa was definitely spying Coulter. They had Morris do that a couple of times. It was just almost like an ISO. Yeah. And and it worked. That was very effective for the most part. James Morris is probably the best open field tackler. I mean, you just can't juke him out. He's so patient. He waits, he waits, he waits. He never falls for the first move. He just, he waits, he's waiting to see the movement versus the, the shake, and, and he's phenomenal in that position. The other thing that Iowa's defense did Saturday was they held Northwestern's passing game in check for the most part. They only gave up one long pass play, 31 yards, and their best receiver, Tony Jones, only had one catch for four yards. No no deep plays that really hurt them. Yeah, and I, I don't know, they, to me it didn't seem like they tried a lot, you know. I mean, they, they would, Iowa did a good job. I and mean, there, there was a few times I thought they could have taken some shots. Uh, you know, we, we get in cover two a lot. A lot of times we have two safeties over the top and, and with underneath coverage, and it kind of takes away a lot of the deeper stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, I thought for the most part it was pretty solid, and, you know, I think Northwestern was very content just running the ball and, and trying to dink and dunk and, and move it that way. Ed Podolak was apoplectic during quite a bit of the game on Saturday. Maybe apoplectic's an overstatement, but he was really harping on what he thought were clearly almost constant holding calls on Northwestern. And, and after the game, some of the media guys were talking about that Northwestern's been known for that. We saw some still photos of of, uh, offensive linemen literally pulling the uh, shoulder pads out of Iowa's defensive linemen's uh, uniforms. Were you seeing that too? I mean, is that the how is it that one team can get away because of their style of offense with that much holding? You know, I guess I didn't didn't notice it a lot. A lot of times, as long as it's inside, as long as the hands are inside the framework of the body, they won't really call that stuff. A lot of times where you're getting problems when it's out on the edge, uh, every once in a while you do see that uh, like a tight end's blocking an end and the ball bounces outside and the end's trying to get out and he can't move because the guy's got him locked up. But I guess I didn't see it, perceive it as being that big of an issue. After the Big Ten update, Marv previews the home game against border state rival Wisconsin in the renewed battle for the Heartland Trophy. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, we note Ohio State's consecutive games. One streak now sits at 20 after the Buckeyes blew out Penn State last Saturday in Columbus. The team is also one of only four teams with an 8-0 and record nationally and one of only eight that remain undefeated. Key games last weekend, apart from Iowa's overtime win and Ohio State manhandling the Nittany Lions, included Minnesota's stunning upset of Nebraska in Minneapolis. And with that victory, the Golden Gophers became the fourth Big Ten team to gain eligibility for bowl games, joining Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. Three more squads, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, each just need one more win to become bowl eligible in 2013. Five Big Ten teams rank among the top 16 in scoring offense heading into this weekend's games. Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan, Nebraska, and Iowa's foe this weekend, Wisconsin. And somewhat surprisingly, the conference as a whole is ranked second nationally at 33 3.46 points per game. Moreover, Big Ten teams have combined to score 40 points more than 36 times this year, which surpasses last season's entire total of 27. 
Key matchups this week include Iowa hosting Wisconsin and Michigan traveling to Michigan State in a game that will have a lot to do with who wins this year's Big Ten Legends Division title and the chance to play in the conference title game. The other intriguing game Saturday has Northwestern traveling to Lincoln to face Nebraska. Both of those teams will be trying to bounce back following very tough and damaging losses last Saturday. Michigan State remains alone at the top of the Legends Division with a 4-0 conference mark. Same is true for Ohio State in the leaders division standings and while the leaders race is essentially over there is still much to be decided in the legends that may become a bit clearer after the game in east lansing this saturday michigan and nebraska are right on the spartans heels with records of two and one in conference play in terms of individual stats and national rankings of interest to hawkeye fans this week in team offensive categories wisconsin is 16th nationally in scoring offense 11th in total offense 8th in rushing offense in the FBS. That also leads the Big Ten and 25th in passing efficiency. With respect to team defensive stats, the Badgers are 6th in scoring defense, Iowa's 12th, and the same rankings apply for total defense. In terms of rushing defense, Wisconsin is 4th, the Hawkeyes have dropped to 24th, and in passing efficiency defense, the Badgers are 4th while the Hawkeyes are 26th. Wisconsin also leads the Big Ten in red zone defense, while Iowa is 7th in that category. Individual rankings of note, Melvin Gordon is 15th in all-purpose yards in the nation right now, 4th in rushing yards, and 9th in rushing touchdowns. He's also 16th in scoring. His teammate James White is 28th in rushing per game. Badgers QB Joel Stave is 27th in pass efficiency. And receiver Jared Abraderis is 18th in receiving yards per game. Iowa linebacker Anthony Hitchens is 19th in the FBS and leads the Big Ten in tackles per game. Wisconsin Sojourn Shelton is 26th in interceptions per game, and Cavante Martin-Manley continues to lead both the FBS and the Big Ten in punt returns. While Iowa leads the conference in that category, punt returns, the Badgers are ranked first in kickoff returns. Four conference teams continue to appear in the national polls. Ohio State remains fourth in all four rankings and will probably need two of the teams ranked ahead of them to lose in order to get into the national title game. For the time being, they're stuck behind Alabama. Alabama, Oregon, and Florida State. Wisconsin, Michigan, and Michigan State are ranked between 21st and 24th in all four polls, while Nebraska has dropped out after its loss to Minnesota. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace. Fourth down now for the Hawkeyes. 38-yard attempt for Mike Meyer, and Meyer, the field goal is good. Meyer now 10-13 on the season is long for the year. 49-yarders, Mike Meyer with three points, and the Hawkeyes up 10-0 here in the second quarter. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times.
Next, Marv Cook previews Iowa's very important home game against the Wisconsin Badgers, and he makes his prediction. Well, Wisconsin comes in. This has been one of the biggest rivalry series in recent years for Iowa, and then they had the two years off because of the realignment. That won't happen again now for a long time because of the new realignment, but this is the most even series in the Big Ten, 42-42-1. and It's battle for the Heartland Trophy. Uh, these games always seem to be close. Uh, in 2010, the Badgers won down here 31 to 30, and when an Iowa drive stalled at the last moment. And the other thing that's interesting about this game, whatever team wins becomes bowl eligible. Yeah, and, and to me, I, I think when Coach Ferentz came in, he wanted to build a team that was built like Wisconsin was when they were going to multiple Rose Bowls. And you want to be big and physical, you want to run the football, you want to play tough defense. And that's what Wisconsin is and has been and is trying to be under this new coach as well. So, you know, it's going to be two, you know, mirrors of each other. Uh, Wisconsin's been tested. They played some really top notch talent in Arizona State and some others. So, I mean, it's going to be a great challenge for, for our, our kids. And, you know, I'm just grateful we're in Kinnick Stadium. And, and um, you know, it may be a sloppy, windy day or whatever, but you just, that's why you play the games. And this is this is truly going to be a, a Big Ten football game. It's going to be two juggernauts that, that want to do the same things and, and want to run it down your throat if they can. And, and it's, so it's going to make for an exciting uh, weekend. A lot of the uh, matchups are strengths versus strengths. And Wisconsin this year, even though they have the new coach in uh, Gary Anderson, their offense is ranked high, not only the Big Ten, but nationally, so is their defense. Uh, but the wrinkle now is that Anderson's running a 3-4, a true 3-4 defense. Yeah, which, you know, normally, I mean, one of the greatest strengths has always been defensive end guys, you know, I mean, J.J. Watt, and, and just big, physical guys that put their hand on the ground, long, lean, uh, and now you're asking linebackers to kind of set the edge uh, more so and, and create pressure with, with, with outside linebacker type guys. So it, it'll be interesting to see, but, but uh, you know, the one thing they got is they got running backs, and they got athletes on the edge and in the receiver receiving core so you know the the, the great receiver that they're very very comfortable with which has got a unique name Jared Aberderis yeah Aberderis Urban Meyer called him Aberderis yeah <laughs> uh, you know pretty darn talented guy so I mean it, it's you know it's it's a, if they can get the run game going they're going to be setting up to play action and we're going we're to be in for a long day so ultimately it's going to be you know the team that can stop the run the best is probably going to have the best advantage you know, Ohio State couldn't stop Aberderis either Ferentz in his press conference this week called him one of the best players not just one of the best wideouts one of the best players in the Big Ten does he remind you of any former Iowa whiteouts that just constantly make those catches? And well, that's a good question. To me, he's uh, no. I mean, I, no, I can't think of anybody honestly. I mean, um, can you categorize him as a possession receiver? Not really, because he makes plays downfield. Yeah, I was going to say he's a hybrid, but he, but he's I mean, he's truly a, a dynamic outside guy. But he's able to do the stuff inside that you know you get with crossers and things like that. And and he's he's tough. And and he's a guy that I mean, here's here's the hard part. It's one thing to go out and do it when people aren't expecting it. If you got a hammer on the other side, if you got like an all, all all American on the other side that's getting all the attention, then you're able to go out and wheel and deal. But he's the guy. I mean, he's the guy people are game planning against, and he's still able to do it. It's pretty amazing. Who do you think Iowa will try to put on him? How will they try to defense him? I, I think we'll do what we do. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll play three over two. So if they go blue or two by two, we'll have two guys underneath and a safety over the top with help, and they'll be pressuring on him and run with him, and then have the safety over the top in case he gets gets over the top on him. And, and it won't we won't change up much what we do. I mean, honestly, when you see our defense, coaching 101, any book you read says when you see two ice safeties, you need to run the ball. And the problem is people haven't been able to run the ball effectively, continuously against us. And we've been able to stop that. And so, um, you know, that that's the key for us is if we can continue to have the two ice safeties, we're going to be somewhat effective stopping the pass and causing problems for teams. To that point, however, they have two running backs that could start for any team in the Big Ten, probably almost any team in the country, in James White and Melvin Gordon. They both have outstanding 
stats. Gordon's scored a slew of uh, rushing touchdowns, and interestingly, as many touches as they get in Wisconsin's offensive scheme, they have almost no fumbles. Yeah, that's been an MO of those guys for a long time, I mean, to be honest with you. I mean, different backs they've had come through there. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's they run downhill, they run power, they run, you know, we call it Wisconsin. I mean, it's 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 down block, kick, and pull. You know, they're kicking the fullback, pulling with the guard, and they're running downhill on you, and the backs are taught to just, you know, cover the points, get down behind the linemen, and press the pile. And, and, and so, you know, they're able to do that extremely effectively. And then when they get the crease, they're in the next level, and then they're really dangerous on safety. Yeah, and the other thing, uh, particularly Gordon is good at, is that big jet sweep play they run. Yeah, and then, yeah, you, st- you stretch it that way, you stretch the defense that way, and then it opens up creases inside. What do you think of their quarterback, their starting new starting quarterback for him, sophomore Joel Stavi? Have you seen enough him to... A little bit. I mean, he, to me, he's, he's not Russell Wilson, <laughs> but he's, you know, if you go back to the last 10, 15 years of Wisconsin, you get quarterbacks that are just real efficient, they're real smart, they just real, they're good game managers, you know? To me, he's a lot like Jake in that he's not going to dazzle you, he's not going to wow you with, you know, rocket arm or, you know, crazy dynamic footwork or anything like that, but he's just, he's playing inside the system, managing the game, you know, making the throw when he needs to make it, and he's been pretty effective, and, and you know, I mean, it's it's tough because they, they went through the transition of a new staff, and, and that's always difficult, but, um, you know, the scary thing about Wisconsin, they're truly in that mode where they're going to get better every week because of just the, the learning part of it, and I think they might have had a bye week this week, too, as they get ready for us, so it's, it's going to be a difficult, difficult task. Week in and week out, we keep talking about this in the Big Ten, how there are so many great linebackers, and you have another one this week with Chris Borland. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, it's you could statistically, I don't know if the statistics match up, but I'm telling you, I mean, we are not mirrors of each other, but I mean, we try to be. I mean, honestly, that's what, you know, we're going to, they're going to wreak havoc with their upfront guys and their big Wisconsin kids. You know, I mean, that's what they probably are, I'm assuming. And, you know, then their linebackers are going to be tough downhill players that smack you and, and you know, pin your ears back and want to beat you up, basically. And, and then you're going to have some great skilled guys in the back end. And then it's, if you look at how Coach Ferentz has wanted to build this team, that's exactly how he wants to build it. So we've come to the point where we ask for your keys to the game and the prediction. This one's a tough matchup for Iowa. A lot of people think Wisconsin's probably the second best team in the Big Ten. The first team that gets a running back to 100 yards wins this game. I mean, that's, that's, and honestly, that's what it's going to come down to because whoever gets to 100 yards rushing first is probably going to have an advantage on the scoreboard and ultimately going to have an advantage in the game because of that. And they're going to keep, you know, if he gets to 100, they're going to go to 150 and then they're going to try to go to 170. And it's just, that's what they're going to try to do. So to me, it's the team that can run the ball effectively early is going to be the team that makes that, that does some things here. You know, I got to throw in because of this game and because they are so like matched up, it's going to come down to probably that and special teams. You know, one big special teams play could be the difference. And so, you know, we got to make sure that we're locked down on everything that we're doing right now and those 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 facets of the game. And, and the team that plays the best and, and doesn't turn the ball over is going to be the team that wins it. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the running game. You got a score in mind? I, I think I think Iowa's going to. You know, I, I got to stay with my Hawks. I'm going to go 27, 21, uh, Iowa. touchdown this year for Bullock and this is a drive that started at the 26 and they controlled the line of scrimmage coach throughout that offensive line was impressive in film they're really impressive that first series
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook for his time, his insight, and his contributions. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll think about participating. You can do so by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.